He took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning in this while he was walking through the road, while he wrote in the scripture to us? As they now they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions scattered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and now he had been made known to them and break them into prayer. The Lord opened our eyes also to the good news of the resurrection. Let that word sink deeply in our bones. May we find the full meaning of the earth in your Holy Spirit. It is hard to know what I will say in a day like this, because no words are adequate to express full glory of the resurrection. But let me begin by sharing a story about a person by the name of Eisenhower. Is that name ring about anybody? His family were brethren of Christ, which is like Quakers, meaning among several things they were pacifists. They settled in Venice in Texas where the son of white was born. And then there was Abilene, where he was nicknamed Pike. Upon the advice of a friend, he graduated from high school, he applied to the military academies and received a second high score. He ended up going to Westport. His folks were useless, but they led him aside. And as you know, he later became president of the United States in 1952. All of his brothers, for that matter, were very successful. It's the story of a very successful family. His mother recorded an autobiography of the Eisenhower family. It's quite fascinating. In it, she recorded a year that there were a score of deaths in the family. As a concluding comment for that year, she wrote, all in all, it was a very bad year, but it passed on like all the rest. In her words, there contains one of the primary messages of evil, the permanent nature of good, the transitory nature of evil, that which is the cause of sorrow, and eventually give way to that which is the cause of joy. That is the truth of Jesus. Whenever I counsel someone by far the greatest revelation, he or she can have is at the moment when they can say, I'm not going to always feel the way I do now. This too shall pass, like all the rest. One of the best disobedience is the experience of every life after death. The great affirmation of our faith is that death, physical death, is not the end. But behind this revelation, and beneath the significance of the resurrection of Jesus, for the vote, those of us today, is an even greater, at least a more present concern, and that is, how long will the darkness of my soul last? 
How long will this hurting, whatever it is, go on? People party with them come to me, call me, ask me, they're going to live after they die. If they did ask me, I would give them the good news and the promise that we have to the risen Lord. More often than not, people will ask me, how long am I going to feel this way? How long am I going to go through this terrible, terrible time in my life? Whatever it is. If no evil is turned, if the sorrow does turn to joy because of the grace of God that we see on Easter, then how does that apply to us? Well, first, it means to us that no grief is ever coming. No grief is ever coming. Of course, when we are in the middle of grief, it seems like it is. At the time, like we will never forget. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a room where you don't want to talk to anybody? When you have lost someone dear to you, and no words can express how hard and bad that feels inside? Have you been there before? And you wonder if you'll ever feel any different than the way you feel at the time. The heaviness of the grief is so great. But we will, if we allow God's grace to help us. I knew a family in Georgia when I was pastoring the church in Georgia who were moving to another city. And as they were driving over the street, they had a flat tire. And somehow, in the course of repairing the tire, the little child was standing one down the middle of the street and was hit by a car, instantaneously killed. And I spent the rest of that night with family in the hospital. It was a terrible tragedy. About six months later, I saw the mother on the sidewalk, and I visited with her there. I asked her how she was doing, and she said, it, it has been terrible. I cried and cried until there were no tears left to cry. It seemed like, she said, it seemed like I cried every day for months until, well, now the tears dried up. And that's the way she did it. She was going through a terrible grief, but the grief finally gave away. Of course, there are those kinds of losses that do not involve death. They live, the person lives, but we lose them anyway, a divorce, or a son, or a daughter, or a parent, and we no longer communicate. It can be very painful, even more painful sometimes than actual death. It's very natural for us to grieve, but it is not permanent. And that's one of the messages of reason. Unless we choose to make it by being unwise or selfish, and we hold on to our grief, self-centered in our grief, and nurture that grief. I know a wife and lost a husband. And every day, for almost two years, she would go to the cemetery the same hour each day, every day. And by the end of the day, she was just as grief-stricken as if it was the first day of her loss. One day I went to the cemetery at the hour she normally came, and sure enough, here she was coming. And I sat down with her out there 
And I told her, we must not do this anymore. Don't do this. Don't nurse your grief. Don't open the wound every day. Let it heal. Because it's supposed to heal. The joy can come back to the end of the day. Grief should never be permanent. The hope that the one that we lose lies to the living God. Their lives are preserved for they we see them face to face in glorious body. Sure, we're going to grieve. Sure, it hurts. But God's grace allows us to move beyond that grief and to see the lining, the shining lining, the resurrection of that person that we want. No grief is coming. Then second, no disappointment, no hurt is ever permanent. The Eastern Methodist teaches us no disappointment lasts forever. It's all well worth saying, and you've heard it before, I know, but you come to finish it off. God never closes one door without opening another. It's not a door opening another. And that is true. If you've ever suffered a great disappointment, it may feel like I don't see any light at the end of this time. I don't see any other options for me. The truth is, the attitude that you're looking at for those options may be too small. God always offers other opportunities. But sometimes in our disappointment, we only see a very narrow way and there are other opportunities waiting for us. Every disappointment can become an opportunity. That's what Easter tells us. And that's what the state means. Some years ago, two friends were coincidentally rejected by their girlfriends that they intended to marry. If you've ever broken up or had someone break up with you, you know that's not, not the most pleasant feeling. I, I've been there. I, I broke up with five girlfriends before I met my wife. And I got to wonder, is there something wrong with me? I'm so glad to say I've been married for my wife for 30 years. Thank you, God. But there was a while when I was wondering, what, what's going on? Is the Lord trying to come to In this case, these two men were rejected by girlfriends at the same time. One became so rejected, he had a taxi driving into the middle of Brooklyn Bridge where he jumped off. Killed himself. It's a true story. The other went to his apartment and he sat down on the edge of his car and began to express his feelings in the form of poetry, a song. And he tied the song, Good Night, Irene. And some of you don't remember that song, but you can Google it and you can find it. The next morning, he took it to a publisher and made a million dollars. Good night, I I guess the point is, if you ever feel honest to goodness and disappointment, you can always turn it into a song. I have a friend who was married. He became a great disappointment. And today, he sits in the church beside one of the loveliest brides I've ever met. She has brought out everything good. When I last spoke to him, he said, Chaplain, I never thought I'd get over that this point. 
for you to No discipline should ever be That's the reason for Third, Easter teaches us that no sin or weakness is ever permanent. One of the worst experiences is to be in the grip of a habit of a sin or a weakness for which we feel we cannot escape. The feeling that what you are doing is wrong and you just, you just can't change it. That's just the way I am. I just can't change myself. A friend of mine confessed a lifestyle he had grown to hate. He hated it so much that he hated himself. Over time, the cause of the hate stopped increasing. It had been going on for years. And he said, I can't change. He answered, Have you ever seen anything like me change? Is there, is there any hope that I can be different? And I was so glad to say, Anybody can change. Anybody can be different. Anybody can be released from a weakness or a sin. That's the whole message of Alcoholics Anonymous. Seven years ago, I attended an AA meeting. If you've never attended, even if you're not alcoholic, I encourage you to do, to do that. It's an amazing thing to see. I was struck by the power in those meetings. People would stand and speak. Each person in their own way said, in essence, I was like you, and I changed. Matthew says, with God, all things are possible. Elsewhere, that which seems impossible to us, God can make happen. It's true. There is no habit, there is no weakness, there is no sin from which we cannot be released because Christ goes to the dead and gives us the power to overcome those weaknesses. Amen. Then finally, of course, this is not by any way exhaust the full meaning of Easter. Let me add one other thing. Easter teaches us no guilt is permanent. Many persons long since quit what it was they were doing with every single weakness that they had been, or they did only one time. But they lived with the guilt of it every day. The good news for you and me is that we can be forgiven. God has forgiveness if we come to Him. You don't have to live with that guilt every day of your life. Seven years ago, I was called to the hospital to visit a couple who had lost their child and still It's a terrible tragedy. At one point in our conversation, the mother asked her husband to leave. And leaning over the body, she began to shake. And then she told me something she did when she was 17 years old one day. And she asked me, Did God take away my baby because of my sin? And I was so glad to say, God is not. God has long since forgiven you. Forgive yourself. Guilt is not supposed to be 
Blessing. 